Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hello and welcome to Rookie and Nice, the new podcast from BBC Good Food. My name is Miriam Nice. And I'm Nadia Zirfat, also known as the Rookie Chef. Unlike Miriam, I'm right at the start of my cooking journey. My day-to-day job is replying to your feedback and talking to you on our social media channels. Whereas I've been working in food and food writing for many years, including the last six at BBC Good Food. In this series, we're joining forces to deep dive into a recipe with an expert guest and help answer your cookery questions too. While I learn how to perfect a new dish, each week Miriam will be finding out how and when it's served and who to. Join us as we learn all about some of our favourite dishes and uncover some great cookery tips direct from the experts. This time, we're not talking about food, but about drinks. And in this special episode, we're joined by Liam Davey, head of the award-winning bars at Hawksmoor. Welcome to the podcast, Liam. How are you? Hey, guys. Yeah, I'm really good. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me on. Oh, that's great. And tell us a bit more, like in your own words, about you and your job. So basically, my uh, role at Hawksmoor is head of bars, um, which means I'm pretty much responsible for everything uh, on the liquid side in the restaurants. Um, which is everything from cocktails to beer um, to the kind of creative elements of how the the menus look and feel and how the bars kind of operate as well. Um, Also, since COVID started, that's become a kind of at-home offering as well. So we do all kinds of kind of packaged and RTD cocktails on top of the stuff that we do in the restaurants. Can I just say head of bars is like the coolest job title I've ever heard. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you very much. (laughs) So um, to kick us off, we um, asked our audience if they have any cocktail questions for you, and they had a lot. So let's get started. Um, First of all, Julie Fox asked, what's the perfect gin martini, please? Oh, well, it's funny you say that because uh, I spent the first part of lockdown last year working on precisely that because I love a martini. It's pretty much, I can't really think of anything better um, to kind of kick off an evening or have before dinner. So for me, a perfect martini is actually uh, one that's made at home. I think you can make them better at home almost than you can in a bar. Um, How I make mine at home is about seven parts gin or vodka, whichever you prefer, to one part vermouth. So usually about 70 mils of gin to 10 mils of vermouth, quite easy to to remember. And then I add about 25 mils of water. You can just use tap water or mineral water, whatever you have to hand. Um, I put all of that into like a little Tupperware container and put it in the freezer for about an hour and a half. And honestly, it makes the best martini you could possibly imagine. You really, really don't need um, to bother with shakers or ice or anything like that. That is just the perfect home martini. Garnish it however you like. Some people like a lemon twist, other people an olive. Um, Personally, I kind of like it ungarnished, just kind of nice and clean. Um, But yeah, really super easy to make at home and absolutely delicious. 
I mean, so that was our next question, actually. Uh, Sophie, uh, is it possible to make a good martini at home or should we just leave it to you? But it <laughs> sounds like you can I'll make a good anyway. Honestly, that works. It works. It works so well. It's absolutely delicious. You can make you can make them in, in bulk as well. You can make kind of a big, a big, uh, a big batch of it and pop it in the freezer. It's a really nice, really nice way of kind of um, making drinks quickly without loads of mess. Yeah, I'll be trying that this weekend. Yeah, do, um, it, do it, do it. Jen28694 said, what's your favourite drink? Oof, what's my favourite drink? I like, I mean, I drink all sorts. I drink a lot of um, wine at home, um, the martinis, as I mentioned. But I think my kind of favourite um, drink to have out in a bar is some kind of scotch and soda. So like a nice light whiskey with soda, lots of lots of ice, really tall and cold and refreshing. Um, I think that's going to make a really big comeback. If it hasn't already, it's delicious. Michelle Fox asked, tips for old-fashioned twists? So old-fashioned, really, it's a really versatile drink. And one of the reasons is that bourbon just has so much, so much kind of rich, big flavour. You can kind of really throw everything at it um, and it's, it's delicious. So um, in the restaurant, we actually infuse bourbon with brown butter, which is quite a kind of uh, complicated overnight process. But if you just want like a really simple, um, something you can do at home, um, I recommend getting some coconut uh, coconut flakes um, from just any kind of supermarket. Just toast them in the oven for a little bit and then infuse a bottle of bourbon with toasted coconut and you'll get like a really, really lovely old-fashioned from that. One of the, one of the big flavours you get from bourbon is coconut, so it just enhances that. It's delicious. That sounds incredible. Um, Grid1818 said, what's your favourite take on a gin and tonic? So I'm really, really classic when it comes to gin and tonics. I'm afraid I, I don't really go in for like the big Spanish style wine glasses with, you know, loads of rocket and cumin seeds thrown in. I like, um, <laughs> um, I, like yeah, I know they're very, I know they're very popular at the moment. It's just, I don't know, I've never really managed to kind of get into it. But um, I think for me, the, the most important thing with the gin and tonic is really big blocks of ice. So again, get your Tupperware in the freezer with some water. You can crack up the ice with a, with a big sort of serrated knife just so you get some nice big blocks. Um, a, nice, a nice rocks glass, a big, big hefty glass. Um, and then the most important thing really is just getting that ratio right between gin and tonic. So I think kind of one third gin to two thirds tonic. You want it to be quite a strong drink. Otherwise, it just tastes very, very sweet. Mm-hmm. Um, and I like to garnish mine with a really good quality unwaxed lemon. So not too much kind of frippery in there, just like a really a really simple garnish. So it's, that probably sounds a little bit boring, but no, it is delicious. Not at all. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I, well, obviously when we could go to pubs, it seems like the glasses are just getting bigger and yeah, I mean, bowls. I, I think the, th- the thing is that as the glasses get bigger, the, the, if you go to a pub in, in the UK, just the standard measure for a gin and tonic is tiny. It's like 25 mils. And so you see these huge glasses and this tiny little dribble of gin in the bottom and then loads and loads of this really sweet tonic water. Mm. Um, and it just kind of, it just tastes like a kind of soft drink with loads of weird stuff coming out of it. So yeah, I, I, keep, I, keep, I like to keep it quite classic. Mm. And on that note about keeping things classic, is there um, a mixo- mixological is that if you if you like yeah yeah, yeah. Is that's, it, that's, a word. Yeah, that's definitely a word that's yeah yeah no, you're right yeah <laughs> what mixological trends do you wish would go away <laughs> oh i mean i i actually quite i think all trends are quite fun normally i i, I think it's i'm really glad they all exist i think they all have a, a place um there's there's some things that don't particularly appeal to me like i'm not really into kind of uh tropical drinks and tiki drinks with lots of you know things set on fire and stuff but then at the same time it's really fun and I think that there is a time and a place for it um uh so yeah I mean I'm, I'm pretty open to most most trends um and I've got a bit of time for it I think um uh, over drinks um and very very expensive cocktails are things that I wish would go away 
No, me too. Yeah. <laughs> That's my bank. Yeah. Um, is there a pattern to what mixes with what, or is it just the luck of the draw when making something new? And that's Simon Reed. It's a really good question and one that I think about um, a lot at the moment. Um, I think with, with bartenders, it's really interesting. A lot of the times um, bartenders will, will be really happy that they've managed to make two things that shouldn't go well together work. You know, someone will be like, oh, absinthe and banana. Like, who would have thought it? Does It works. And I kind of think that's the wrong way around. You know, there's a reason that people eat strawberries and cream because strawberries and cream taste delicious. Um, and I think in some ways you should just kind of like go with what you know tastes good and just make it taste even better with like really good quality ingredients, beautiful glasses, you know, nice garnishes. So I think, you know, trying to force things together that don't sound like they're, they're good, there's probably a reason why they don't normally go together. Yeah. Edible Shoe said, I have a bottle of Kummel for silver bullets. What else can I make with it? Oof. So Kummel is, I mean, I, I was, I was going to say silver bullets are delicious, <clears> but Kummel is quite a difficult flavour to work with. It's very, um, very strongly flavoured with kind of caraway and fennel, um, which are quite potent flavours. Um, I think just really keep it very, very, very simple. Um, just add very small amounts of it to kind of a, a vodka soda, something like that. Just to, if you if you really like the flavour of Kummel, um, just be sparing with it. A little bit of Tom Collins would be really nice. Um, but I think there's there's very few sort of Kummel based cocktails that I would I'd forcefully recommend. Um, but yeah, it's 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 a really interesting flavour. And if you like caraway and dill and that kind of thing, then it's it's delicious. Amazing. So you've given some incredibly helpful tips, but for this recipe, we're focusing on a gin sling. So can you tell us what's in that? So it's interesting. I hadn't even thought about gin sling for quite a long time. Um, and um, I did a little bit of kind of reading up on it, a bit of research. And it's, a, it's a quite a, a weird drink in as much as there isn't really a, a specific recipe for it. The gin sling is more of a kind of an idea than it is a, a, a recipe. So in the same way that you might... A cosmopolitan, for example, there's a, there's a pretty... Um, solid idea of, of what that is um the gin sling is is a really kind of old drink probably from around the 1800s um and it actually comes from or it's supposed to come from a german phrase schlingen which means to gulp or to swallow um and although a lot of people think that's not true i think why let the truth get in the way of a good story <laughs> I like Schling, schlingen, schlingen sounds great and, and everything sounds better in german so um the kind of vague, uh, the vague agreement among cocktail historians, which is maybe even an even better title than Head of Bars, um, is that uh, it's a it's a gin-based drink with um, water. So we normally soda water or some kind of sparkling water, um, something sweet, so sugar syrup, and then a flavouring of some kind, um, which has kind of grown to become Angostura bitters. Um, so the gin-sling recipe that, that uh, you most normally come across is very similar to a Tom Collins, so gin, lemon, sugar, soda, um, with a little bit of bitters in, and that is the kind of classic gin-sling. Um, the, the sling that people most know about, or the, the most common popular sling, is the Singapore sling, which most people have, have heard of and tried. Um, again, it's a drink that kind of has loads of different variations. You see all kinds of different recipes for it, um, but it's a much kind of sweeter, more tropical drink with uh, with pineapple juice and grenadine and benedictine, which is kind of a herbal liqueur and comes from uh, the Raffles Hotel in Singapore, which is still the kind of most famous place to go and get a Singapore sling. But yeah, it's very it's quite a kind of diff difficult recipe to pin down the sling. 
You suggested when you sent in your recipe, like you suggested using a gin that's got quite pine, got quite heavy pine notes in there. Um, and I can see that working really well because you put in some rosemary and some lemon and they kind of worked really beautifully together. Um, I didn't make it this morning. I made it. It's like 10 a.m. Yeah. <laughs> If you were going to use like a different gin, so like maybe a classic, more like juniper-led gin, um, would you change the garnish at all, or would you leave it like that? I think juniper is juniper itself is quite piney flavour. It's I, I'm I'm no botanist, but I think it's kind of a member of that family. So I think it, you can still um, you can still use that garnish. I think what I'd try and avoid potentially is using that garnish if you're using a flavoured gin or kind of a pink gin um, or anything kind of fruity and floral. Um, in that case, you might want to change it out for something. A, a garnish that, that kind of complements that a little bit better. Um, but yeah, I think most juniper forward gins work really well with any kind of pine pine flavour. Um, we've used a couple which have got like Douglas fir in the gin itself, which just gives it that really kind of supercharged pine flavour, which is delicious. Very summery. Uh, with so few ingredients in some cocktails, what I wanted to know was how geeky do you get in terms of the ingredients? Like, do you make your own like infusions? Like, do you know the names of the chickens that supply the egg whites? Like, how how far does it go? <laughs> um, we can get pretty geeky. I mean, it's really interesting. Some some things make a huge difference um, to the kind of the overall flavour of the cocktail. In our, in our um, martinis at Hawksmoor, for example, we have um, a lemon oil that's made for us um, from this from lemons from this tiny island in Sicily, uh, near Sicily called Filicudi. And um, a guy called Nick Strangeway, who we work with, tried these lemons and, and was just like, these are the best lemons I've ever tasted and had them shipped over. And the oil was kind of distilled and we spray that over the top of the martinis and things like that does make a huge difference. Um, but it's amazing. Also, a lot of a lot of kind of commercially available products are also really good. So I think it's always just about tasting everything and finding out where what makes impact and what is you being pretentious, which definitely does happen in bars sometimes. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty. That's pretty geeky again. Yeah. <laughs> they are really good lemons though. <laughs> Um, and when did you fall in love with making cocktails and specialising in drinks? So I think I was probably pretty well-trodden path, I think. I, I basically lied my way into a, into a bar job in Bristol when I was 18 um, <laughs> because I was really determined not to become one of those students who lived on beans and toast and, you know, <laughs> complained about never having any money. Um, so I kind of, I pretty much worked full-time in a cocktail bar throughout my time at, um, at college and um, I think kind of worked with people who were considerably more talented than I was learned very, very quickly. Um, and then when I was 22, I moved to London um, and started working for um, Jonathan Downey, who owns the Match Bar, who owned the Match Bar Group of Milk and Honey. Um, and, you know, it was it just really felt like kind of the, um, you know, the, the Rolls Royce of the bar industry at the time. It was very, very, very exciting. And I was kind of smitten from then. Um, but, you know, after that, I've done all sorts of different things in terms of bar and restaurant industry, cooking, wine, all that kind of stuff, and ended up coming back to, to bars a couple of years ago. But um, were, you, were you much of a cocktail maker before before you started working there? Well, I mean, so the first co- I was talking about this the other day. The first cocktail I ever made was um, an Irish coffee for my Irish uncle when I was eleven years old. He tough was crowd. he was also yeah tough crowd. He was so he was a really interesting guy. He used to own a he used to own a bar in Brazil, a cocktail bar in Brazil. So he was kind of he was where the I guess the cocktail lineage came from. And uh, I remember being like a very very young boy age 11 and he asked me to or taught me how to make an Irish coffee so it definitely had the bug a little bit there um 
But yeah, no, I, I, it's really strange. I honestly think back, I don't really remember exactly where, when it first really hit. I didn't watch Cocktail or anything or, or anything like that. It wasn't, like, it wasn't one of those kind of cliched things. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it was, it was, you know, it was a very, very um, easy way to be creative at quite a young age. And you kind of get allowed to do quite a lot of different things. I think it's a wonderful profession for, you know, young creative people to get into. It's, it's, uh, it's something that I'd really recommend. Um, and I think it's a much, much better place now than it was when I started. Mm. And um, what would you say are the most common mistakes that people make when they're making cocktails at home? Um, I can. I think it's re- from having made a lot of cocktails at home myself um, during lockdown. For the first time, really, I never used to be a cocktail at, at home person. And the reason was I never thought I had enough ingredients. Um, and I always thought it was really messy, um, which both those things, whenever you go around to people's houses and, and see them making cocktails, there's just mess everywhere. Um, and they always are trying to kind of create weird drinks with two or three bottles um i think it's important to figure out what your favorites are you know if you if you love a negroni then invest in the the ingredients to make really good negronis at home if you love old fashions then you know buy a couple of really good bottles of american whiskey if you love martinis you know geek out on vermouths a bit and find out which your favorite one is but what you don't really want need to do is have kind of 200 bottles of spirits in your house and also kind of loads of different equipment just um <laughs> you know just 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 pick a pick a few that you really like and get really good at them yeah. um you know and there's there's lots of little hacks and techniques now for making drinks at home that make it a lot easier i think kind of making drinks in bulk is something that people do in bars and i think people still feel that at home they have to make each drink individually by hand you know quite often it's a case of making a big batch popping it in the freezer and then when you've got people around you can just pour it pour it out without having to make loads of loads of mess that's a great. I never knew you could yeah. batch make cocktails. Yeah. That's, oh, that's no, blowing really, my mind. That's yeah. a, kind of like a party trick, isn't it? Really, yeah, just get ahead it, for the for the party. It really is. I mean, there's, there's, if you go to most most good bars now, they will they will pretty much batch everything in advance. You know, a because it makes it much more consistent. Every drink mm. will taste the same, um, and b it just means you get drinks a lot faster. You know, it's 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 definitely really revolutionised how people how quickly people can make drinks. Yeah. Um, as a result of doing that. I'm I'm going to try that. And yeah, I think do it. I'll send you some recipes. Yes, please do. <laughs> I think that's the thing with making cocktails at home. I mean, it especially is for me. We don't really have a lot of spirits or anything in in our house and um I actually messaged Miriam this weekend bugging her for some cocktail recipes and I was sort of looking at the ingredients list and I was like I don't have any of this and it means going out and buying it. But then when I thought about it, there were all key ingredients that I'd use a lot, not just for yeah. those cocktails, but for other ones as well. So I guess it is just sort of investing in in the few staples and then just working around that, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, if you want to, if you want to f- like fully furnish a home bar, it's going to probably cost you like close to a thousand pounds, you know, to get every, everything you need. And let's be honest with you, no one's, <laughs> no, not that many people have got a spare thousand pounds lying around to put together a home bar. So I think it's just about kind of figuring out what what you really like and, yeah. and investing in that. And also, there is something so nice about going out to a bar or a restaurant and oh, ordering cocktails. <laughs> yeah, but not even that. Yeah. It's the atmosphere as well. It's everything that sort of makes that cocktail special. I miss yeah. it. Yeah, I really miss it as well. Yeah. I really, really miss it. I'm very excited about getting back. And uh, with this gin sling in particular, could you make it non-alcoholic? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I think the, the great thing about um, this recipe, particularly as you're using Angostura bitters, which they're, they are alcoholic, but you're using a tiny bit, and that's where the kind of the real flavour of this drink comes in. Um, there are a lot of very good and some not so good um, non-alcoholic spirit brands available, and you can get those in pretty much any supermarket now. Um, they are quite expensive, 
Um, but some of them are, are genuinely very good and can definitely replicate the flavor um, of of the gin if, if, if you're not drinking. Um, but yeah, I think even if you just, if you, if you make the recipe without gin at all and just use Angostura bitters, it'll still taste delicious. Mm-hmm. You mentioned that um, being in the kind of bar industry is like a really cr- good creative space at the moment. What advice would you give to people starting out in that industry? It's another really, really good question. I think um, there's, there's so much, there's so much you can do in, in and around the drinks industry without necessarily having to work five nights a week in a bar. Um, and I think that that's a very, quite an old school thing that's kind of that's hung over from, you know, the, two, the, the 2000s, whereby people thought, you know, you had to work for 10 years in a bar before you kind of proved yourself where you could run a place or go and do something else. Um, you know, there's, there's, there's lots and lots of people who are, who are really keen to get younger people involved in it. I think there's, there's more opportunities to work part-time, um, lots and, you know, lots of, online courses lots of people kind of do, doing um you know all sorts of different things to get young young people involved i just i think it's i think it's a really really great time to be involved in food and drink at the moment i think the last year has seen so much creative creativity um, around creation of new products whether it's ready to drink cocktails or um food packages or all kinds of different things so i think you know i think the barrier for a lot of people and i totally understand this in your in your early 20s is do i want to give away all my evenings and weekends to go and work behind a bar or in a restaurant and all I'd say is, you know, be a bit creative about how you can learn about food and drink. It doesn't necessarily mean kind of giving up your entire your entire life to work behind a bar. Oh, that's good advice. And, and if you weren't doing uh, what you do, what what else would you be doing? Oh God, I mean, if I weren't head of bars. If I wasn't head of bars, <laughs> so just before I before before I was head of bars, I used to uh, own a small <clears throat> Mexican restaurant and bar on Hackney Road. Mm-hmm. which I weirdly decided I was going to cook in and got really into cooking Mexican food. So that was that was something that I really, really enjoyed. Um, I think whatever I did, it probably would be in, within food and drink um, in some way, whether it be writing about it or um, or kind of learning learning about it more, or teaching it more in, in some way. But yeah, I definitely think that this kind of, this is this is my uh, my passion in life, so. Fully hooked. Yeah, Good. fully hooked, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Do you have any other tips for someone who might be setting up their own small drinks cabinet or any advice? Um, any advice? Okay, yeah, definitely. So um, I think the, the things that really make uh, drinks special at home, and if you want to try and get that kind of bar quality um, drink in a cocktail sort of uh, occasion going at home, the two things that people so often forget are ice and glassware. So um, I think, you know, tray little trays of mean ice or the kind of bags you get just don't really quite cut it for cocktails they're, they're absolutely fine for kind of house parties or anything else you know if you want to just slam back a quick gin and tonic when you get home from work but if you want to make you know really beautiful cocktails um invest in a nice big silicon ice tray they're really easy to get hold of um, but big blocks of ice are really kind of really make a great cocktail i think and ditto glassware again you know Go online, look at look at people like Riedel or Spiegelau or any of those kind of um, glass companies that bars use. And you don't have to have loads of them. You know, you just have to have sort of maybe four really nice martini glasses and a few nice, really good rock quality rocks glasses. But, um, you know, chilled glassware, big ice cubes, nice garnishes. I think they are just as important as having a massive home bar full of lots and lots of spirits. And that's kind of what elevates the occasion of home drinking. No, it's right. So what would you serve this gin sling in, ideally, like? what kind of glass would would be best i think the i think the gin sling um is best in a tall glass so a nice big uh highball glass um i tend to prefer uh 
glassware that's kind of quite fine, um, so quite mm-hmm. thin, thin, fine crystal as opposed to kind of thick, heavy glasses. Um, and then, yeah, just big, just a couple, a couple of really nice big blocks of ice in there would be perfect. But yeah, nice and tall, so there's plenty of room for the soda and tonic. This is this drink is meant to be kind of um, something that you kind of can drink quite quickly and is quite low alcohol rather than something that you sit and sip and sip mm-hmm. over and sip and savor. <laughs> And um, I'm sure Miriam knows the answer to this, but as a rookie, <laughs> I don't. Um, how do you decide what drinks to serve in which glassware? So, for example, a martini glass or a tall glass, like what what sort of meets the criteria? I think you. I think you said exactly there, Nadia. You decide. I think part of it is kind of what uh, tradition dictates. So, for example. You know, a Negroni traditionally comes in a rocks glass with a, with some cubes of ice, but also at the same time, some people might prefer to have it, you know, ice cold in a martini glass. It's totally up to you which which way you prefer. Some of the best bars in the world serve it like that. Um, again, you know, a martini comes in a martini glass traditionally, but if you you know if it's not cold enough, maybe it's nice to serve it over ice. You can kind of sip it and it stays nice and cold. Um, it really is up to you. Obviously, traditionally, anything with a mixer will come in a taller glass. But again, I quite like to have a gin and tonic quite short in a rocks glass sometimes as well. So it's, it's very much down to personal taste. Um, and I think as long as you serve it with a bit of confidence and in nice glassware, then um, people will be people will normally be happy with what they get. That's part of the fun as well. When you order cocktails, and I'm, for me, I'm thinking, oh, which glass is it yeah, going to come in? Yeah, exactly. It's great. I mean, like, the only thing, <laughs> I think serving kind of classic cocktails in brandy balloons or pina colada glasses maybe not not quite for me i'll, I'll avoid but that anything else goes yeah <laughs> yeah because we like limited we obviously myself and my husband both write about drinks so we both um have to try a lot of cocktails at home and i think there's no way we'd have space we'd need like a second flat yeah, to have absolutely. every yeah, kind yeah, yeah. of glass but what we've started to find is like things that we um we like aesthetically but also have multiple use so yeah. um there's some really lovely like quite big wine glasses quite a generous serving of yeah. wine but they're really good for like craft beers as well yeah or lovely. for like yeah. spritzes so they're like that glass we use for like three different things and then we have like some coupes for champagne but also for kind of martinis and other cocktails so it's quite nice to have that sort of mixture and there's some quite nice uh beer tasting glasses that look a bit like a hurricane so i'll kind of use those for like this sort of more frivolous cocktail <laughs> i had these glass i had these glasses you know you know the standard hotel yeah so they this is the glass they serve their wine in and so it's like a nice. little okay so these so cost cool. these cost like a quid they're, su- yeah. they're super super cheap and they stack as well so there's loads of, you can make loads of room for them but i have gin and tonics in there i'll put this in the freezer for a beer it's like a good all-purpose wine glass. It's just like an. It's called a, a red wine tower glass. I recommend it. It's really, really good. Fair, like They're all-purpose. So we really, did really the cool. same sort of thing with those, um, like Parisian, like tumblers. We just bought yeah. loads of them because yeah. they're quite like like red wine. In red them, wine but in then the we summer. Also have yeah, yeah. Short cocktails and stuff like that. And, yeah, they're yeah. good. Like you take them on a picnic and they're super cheap as well, so you can break them. Yeah. And they, well, they never break either, which is which is great. I've just yeah, written exactly. down the name. Yeah. <laughs> Do it. Honestly, <laughs> best best purchase or slash steal that I've ever made. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Amazing. All right. And what is your favourite thing to eat with cocktails? So if you were going to have your gin sling and then something to eat, what would you have? Um, to eat with cocktails? Um Oh, I mean, I get, I get a, a gin string is definitely not something you'd sit down and have a have with like a, a main meal, like a steak or no. something like that. So, um, <laughs> but would you like have that at the end of a meal, or would no, you start, definitely start beginning, with definitely it? beginning. I think though, things like that, you just want something, you want something really super salty. Um, I'm like a massive uh, ma- uh, sucker for anchovies. I adore anchovies, and we used to do these 
um, at a restaurant I used to work in. We used to use little uh, rye crackers with goat's butter and anchovies, and it was absolutely delicious. I think that would be that would be a delicious thing to have with with that. Yeah, anchovies are 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 the perfect like complement to a nice tall bitter cocktail like that. So. What would you have? So you've got your gin sling and your anchovies. What's next? What's for? What's for main? Um, I like one of my my kind of my fa- my fantasy dish would probably be like a like a, a seafood rice kind of thing, like a black rice, something like that. We, I made that at home recently. Mm. It was absolutely delicious with kind of yeah, kind of Spanish Spanish style black rice with squid and prawns and stuff. Delicious. Yeah, probably a silly question, but you know how with wine you pair it with your food and you have it whilst you're you know with your main course or whilst yeah. you're eating with cocktails would you say they're more of a before or after thing almost i yeah i, I really would i think there's so many people at the moment are really trying to push the idea of drinking cocktails with food and it's fine you know i think i think food and drink pairing can sometimes be slightly overblown as a as an art i think you should kind of drink what you feel like drinking with whatever you're eating most of the time there's some things that work unbelievably well um but i think yeah i think cocktails are, are delicious before dinner um, I think that's really where they shine. I think that's. I, th- I think of very. I can think of very few things that don't work as a pre-dinner drink, and then sometimes it's nice to have something a little bit sweet and intense afterwards. You know, something whiskey-based or with an amaro, or or maybe like an aged tequila or something something delicious like that, just to kind of finish it off. Um, but yeah, I mean, if I'm honest, I've never really kind of got into the whole drinking cocktails with my with my dinner thing, which I'm sure is sacrilege for some people because you think it's great, but I kind of think I think it's wine and beer with wine and beer with food for me. Where do you stand on that, Miriam? It's quite, it's difficult, I mean, to kind of pair um, something like that with food because often there's some, quite a lot of complexity there. So it is it is more of a challenge, I feel. And also the strength as well. So yeah. it's, it, it's like intensity of kind of alcohol, but also intensity of flavour. You're just kind of, it's like having two main courses in a way, like on your palate. So I think you have to have the, um, sometimes like having a gin and tonic to the side, something simple, something fresh would be fine, um, and that can balance really well with what you're with what you're eating. But it is it's more of a difficult pairing than than say wine or beer for sure. Yeah, I think the one the one example that I'd say that really sort of disproves that is Mexican food, which I think is delicious with cocktails yeah. and spirits. It works really really well. But that's pretty much the only time that, that I thought I think it's. You know, I'd rather I'd probably rather have a margarita or a, or a nice tequila or something like that with with Mexican food than than a glass of wine. But with, and maybe that's because it's so full flavored and so and quite spicy. But I'm I'm yeah. yeah. It's like the freshness and the, the citrus and the herbs in both like Just, work. Yeah, really, really work well. really well. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, definitely. Okay, so you've got your gentling andouilles and your um, seafood rice. <laughs> who would you have around your table? You can have dead, alive, fictional. Who are your oh. I'm so, bad. I'm so bad at this question because I'm really, I just, I, I really don't, um, I don't sort of uh, fantasise about sitting around, sitting around tables with sort of famous people. I just, just do you know what I mean? And they I think, don't have to be famous. A lot of people just invite their family. Yeah, I think, um, and I think at the moment I, uh, like, because because we don't get to see our friends as much as, as we want to. I'm really sort of yearning seeing friends and family rather than rather than kind of sitting around with, I don't know, David Attenborough or something. That's what <laughs> everyone says, isn't it? Um <laughs> Uh, so yeah, I think yeah, at the moment I kind of I, I'm, I'm just really really craving kind of sitting down with um, I, I, my old business partners who I used to run the restaurant with. We talked about it. We've, we've been talking about it for ages. Kind of sitting down and getting together with over a nice bottle of tequila and some beers and just and and really really kind of reminiscing about the old times. Um, 
I would love to see, you know, I'm really looking forward to seeing my um, my sister and my mum and, and all and the, and the wider family and all those kind of all those kind of people. So I think at the moment that's 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 what I'm really craving. I know that's probably not as exciting no, as most no. people's answers. But, <laughs> when, but you, yeah. when you put so, it like that, a, yeah. it's like, can you imagine? You know, the day comes when we're allowed to have anyone we want round, and your family calls and they say, "Where are we going?" Yeah, Sorry, yeah, I got and, David yeah. Attenborough coming round. Exactly. I just <laughs> it's a also, no from me. I just I find I just find that um, that whole thing of, of when people have fancy dinner parties with kind of like sports stars I'm like I've just I'm sure it'd be really interesting to meet them I don't really want to sit down for two hours and have dinner with them I think think I'd be too self-conscious yeah totally yeah yeah and all they do is talk about themselves (laughs) (laughs) I'd be too Um, worried I mean, you can have maybe a drink with David Attenborough. Yeah, I'm doing that. He's 94, so I can't, can't imagine he's I can't imagine he's a big man for the pints these days. So, um, <laughs> quick yeah, 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 David and then go and have I'm dinner sure with your family. Sorry, but yeah, it's really, really bad, isn't it? It's so boring. Who do you want, who do you want to have dinner with your family? No, but, no it's not <laughs> boring. I mean, quite yeah. a lot of people we've interviewed have said have said the same yeah. thing. Like they've said, you know, grandparents and and family and yeah, it's, yeah. It's, Particularly now, I think if someone asked me, I'd be like, just yeah, everyone I've ever every, met. Everyone, yeah. yeah someone, and, I, anyone. I'm people look, I don't know. I think look, looking, we, we often talk about looking, really looking forward to the, one of those afternoons in the pub where, you know, people just come and go and you have a big table and, you know, it's just people drop in and drop out and it's just very unscheduled. You don't have to book anything. You know, all those kind of things for me are the real luxury at the moment rather than kind of, I don't know, you know, having a, having an old fashioned with Thierry Henry or something. <laughs> <laughs> oh. You can have that after dinner. Yeah. <laughs> exactly <laughs> right well Sounds i like think a good night yeah um i think that's all we've got time for so thank you so much for joining us yeah liam's going to be recording his um recipe for a gin sling so you can shake along at home and that will be available as a separate episode at the weekend and will also be on bbcgoodfood.com thanks liam thank you very much guys <laughs> Thank you for listening to Rookie and Nice, a new podcast from BBC Good Food. For recipes and more information, please visit bbcgoodfood.com slash podcasts. Don't forget to subscribe on iTunes, Acast, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts to never miss an episode. 